0: host of the Building Abundant Success Series our primetime mastermind that promotes empowered power focused decisive action and inspired outcome This is part three of my interview with Dr. Joe Rubino, one of the world's leading authorities on self-esteem maximization. He's the CEO of the Center for Personal Reinvention and has been recently featured in the movie The Opus. His goal is to impact the lives of more than 50 million people to live an awesome life to maximize their happiness, self-esteem, communication skills, productivity, and personal effectiveness. Enjoy this. Negative self-talk that so many of us deal with daily, how do we uh, deal with this negativity and stop that noise in our heads?
1: Well, there's two ways. First of all, we can start to surround ourselves with positivity. We can surround ourselves with people who nurture us and champion us, as opposed to people who abuse us and people who detract from, from our happiness. So we get to teach people how they are to be around us. It's kind of like a dance where if I change my dance step, you need to change yours if you're going to continue to dance with me. And when we can take responsibility for what shows up in our lives, and it can be as simple as you know, limiting our exposure to negativity. The news is a great example of that negativity. Uh, We can limit our exposure to to toxic people, to people who like to be in the midst of suffering and anguish. We can limit our exposure to uh, people who who don't share the same uplifting values that we have. So that's one way for us to start to put positive flow into our into our consciousness. The other thing that we can do is we can start to get really good at recognizing the negative self-talk and differentiating it from the voice of our intuition because our intuition is a function of our higher selves. It's, it's a function of who we really are and it's always accurate. Whereas our negative self-talk is a function of one of those three emotional states. It's anger or sadness or fear. And it comes out of that little gremlin on our shoulder trying to protect us from being hurt because that is the job of our negative self-talker. Because we were hurt, and now he or she is going to tell us, now be careful because you don't belong there and you're going to get hurt. Be pe- careful about risking because you know what happens when you risk. You know, you fall down. Be careful about that person because you know what people like that do to you and we have this constant negative self-talk going on which is all it's well-intentioned and it's trying to protect us but we don't recognize the fact that it's negative we don't recognize the fact that we have the ability to control that voice and so the the way that we can deal most effectively with it is to recognize the mood recognize when it's when we when we have the negative self-talk and it puts us into that emotional funk, the anger, the sadness, or the fear. We can then separate out what happened, what did someone say or do, what, what, what is the fear that we have that diminished our self-esteem, that diminished our relationships, that allowed us to detra- detach from people as opposed to connect with them. And we can create a new interpretation that champions us, that champions our relationships, that has us feel uplifted and worthy and moving forward. We can look again at what we have to be grateful for as opposed to what the negatives are in our lives. So it's really a matter of being more aware because awareness is 50% of the battle. When we can be aware of the the fact that that negative self-talker is telling us a bunch of rubbish, and it's not who we are, it's not our intuition, it's a voice outside of ourselves trying to protect us from a fear that is perceived but not real. So when we can actually separate out what happened from what we made up about what happened, we now have a really newfound ability to move our lives forward in a way that supports us and, and is without the, the pull of one of those negative emotions. And also we, we constantly uh, can be in control of, of our future as opposed to being at the effect of that negative self-talk.
0: I wanted to ask you in that negative self-talk, uh, there's another, um, uh, well, where does arrogance and, and a pompous attitude come from? Is that, that in the three you're talking about, the sadness, the anger, or the fear? Where does that come from? Because some people, they just think so highly of themselves and they really convey that you should too. And I don't mean in a healthy way.
1: <laughs> I understand. And, you know, Sabrina Marie, a lot of people confuse self-esteem with ego. My definition of, of self-esteem has to do with not only feeling personal power, your ability to influence others, being significant, and that's our ability to be accepted and have the attention and the affection of others, being virtuous, how we feel about ourselves morally, that we're a good person, and competence, our ability to produce a result and being in control of our lives. Uh, But it also not only involves ourselves, but it involves our ability to be effective with other people, our ability to have empathy for other people and to put ourselves in their shoes and to be effective in our relationships. So someone who is arrogant is feeling not so good about themselves. It's the whole bully syndrome where, you know, I'll get you before you get me, and if I can be wittier than you and cut you down, or if I could be uh, arrogant and not need you, then I'm protecting myself. But that is all built upon the assumption that there's a, there's a dangerous relationship going on here or there's some danger that I have to protect myself from. So it's really important to recognize that the arrogance is not high self-esteem. It's it's ego, and the ego is trying to protect itself from more harm and more hurt by going on the offensive.
0: Wow. So it's it's a, it's part of anger.
1: Yeah, you know, or it, fear. It, or fear. It, it could be part of any of the three emotions, actually, because you know a lot of these um, egomaniacs, a lot of these bullies, a lot of the the arrogant people, they're really very sad inside too. And and the act, the facade that they're putting on, is to protect themselves from harm and from hurt. And so. You know, you get to see the outside act that is concealing something that they don't want you to know about them. And that could be fear, it could be sadness, it could be anger, it could be that they're not good enough so that if they make you feel like you're not good enough, they feel a little bit better because now someone's in worse shape than they are.
0: Is it possible to live an upset-free life? And uh, what's the secret to that?
1: Well, when I talk about an upset-free life, I'm talking about the day-to-day low-grade chronic upsets that we typically are involved in. And what's involved is really recognizing the mood, recognizing the upset, reinterpreting the situation in such a way that we're willing to release that emotion. So if anger is the emotion that dominates us, we recognize the anger as the red flag, we are willing to not be angry. We are willing to create an interpretation that has us be in relationship with the person without that anger present. And when we can release the anger, when we can reinterpret the situation in a way that there's no anger around it, we can make something up about what they said or what they did that doesn't make us angry, that keeps us in relationship, that's a win for us and for them and the world. And it's going to feel really strange doing that because we're so used to the gravitation of going to the interpretations that make us angry or sad or afraid. So when we can create the interpretation that has no emotional tug to it, we now have the ability to lead that upset-free life. And the more that we do that, the greater we will have the ability to recognize those negative emotions before they strike, reinterpret life in a way that is manageable.
0: So it goes back to managing um, the anger, sadness, and being, uh, being fearful. You speak of three keys in healing. Our past and raising our self-esteem and being, you know, being empathy, forgiveness, and gratitude. Gratitude that we got. We're getting back to that word, being grateful. Why are these so important?
1: Well, they really form the 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 basis of reinventing our lives. First of all, when we can have empathy for what it's like in the other person's world, we are no longer at the effect of their words or their deeds. In other words. What is it like to be that person over there? What would it be like to have Sue say that to me? What would it have been like in the world of the abuser to have abused me? What would it have been like in the world of the bully to need to bully me? Whatever that is. When we have empathy, we see that people do the best that they know how to do based upon how they see the world. And unfortunately, many people are living in reactive mode where they are dealing with all of their negative self-talker thoughts going on to the extent that they're trying to protect themselves from harm, they're trying to actually move their lives forward in a way that they no longer become hurt. So when we can realize that they're not doing it to me, they're doing it because of some pictures that they see about how they need to survive in the world. So it takes the upset away from being personal, even when it feels like it's awfully personal. Or uh, Forgiveness is also key because, first, we can't forgive others until we can forgive ourselves. And we are so good at beating ourselves up for things that we make up that, that we're guilty of. We don't forgive ourselves very easily, typically. We keep it in place because there's a lot of juice in beating ourselves up. We get to be the victim. We get to feel sorry for ourselves. We get to avoid responsibility. We get to be the martyr. We get to have others feel sorry for us. We get to damage our health and our happiness, and all of that is very juicy. So when we can forgive ourselves, now we have the ability to forgive others. And when we can forgive others, we can see that, again, they did the best that they know how to do based upon how they see the world. And even though we don't condone bad behavior, we can see that what they did is what they did, and it has nothing to do with us. So... It has to do with them 99% of the time. So I like to think of forgiveness as thank you for giving me the opportunity to learn and to grow in empathy and and love through lessons that, although they might be painful, they're very valuable in, in building character and soul and, and having us be more of the person that we can be. And then the last quality of gratitude, again, is we can't be focused on all of the dirt if we're focused on what we have to be grateful for. So all we have to do is to take the focus off of ourselves and to start looking at how we can be of contribution to others to avoid the self-pity. We can start to look at all the things that we can be grateful for in our lives. We can start acknowledging ourselves on a daily basis for something. Maybe it's smiling at someone or holding a door open for them or giving them a compliment that made their day a little bit better. We all have the ability to impact others in ways that we have no idea how powerful we can be if we can focus there because remember everyone is kind of going around in this haze trying to protect themselves from these perceived harms and, and dangers in the world and if we can understand that everyone is going through that same funk in this earth school we now have the ability to impact them to be grat- to be grateful for for our ability to change lives, for our ability to focus on our gifts, for our ability to live out of a life purpose that we declare as opposed to being in that same funk where, you know, we're just at the effect of what the world gives us, which is how most people live.
0: Yeah, and I was thinking about what you were just saying and going back to that person you were talking about in in the earlier part of our interview who was abused and going back to what you were saying about our formative years being um uh formed in us by the age of at least 7 6 or 7 what about the uh, people going through these three um keys the empathy forgiveness and gratitude that have been abused how do they forgive how does that child that woman that man that who you know the wife how do you forgive that type of thing so you can move well, on
1: first you don't condone the action Forgiving is not the same as agreeing with or, you know, going along with what they did. Uh, What you do is you put yourself in the other person's world momentarily, and you say, what would life be like to have a person be an abuser? You know, how confused could they be? Were they themselves abused as a child? What were they dealing with that they felt like they had to be powerful and this is the way that the only way that they could be powerful, or you know how how weak could they have been not to have managed their you know their their actions in, in such a way. So we don't condone what they did, but we can separate out the fact that what they did is what they did, and we don't have to allow it to be a function of what we made up about that for ourselves. So the person who is abused doesn't have to make up that they were somehow not good enough and that's why they were abused or that that abuse ruined them for life. You know, it was was something that happened and it was a horrible happening and everyone has the ability to move on from that and to realize that it need not be a terrible turning point in their lives where it horribly damages their self-esteem, it creates a downward spiral. As a matter of fact, it can be just the opposite. It can be the incident that gave them empathy and forgiveness and gratitude and the ability to learn a lesson that actually is a gift to them and a gift to others. And it's really a function of how they hold it that makes the difference.
0: I know the uh, attitude to any success in abundant life um, and even esteem is our attitude toward life. And you know, many people have different emotions. Whether that you know be any of the three—the sadness, the anger, the fear, um, the gladness, the, the gratitude, the empathy—but uh, don't we have a right to have these emotions and work them out? And you know, in our daily life, ourselves. Why why do we need to to dig up negative things and 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 things we would just probably much rather sweep underneath the rug? How is it holding us back?
1: Well, not only do we have a right, but the, the bottom line is that it, it doesn't support us. You know, let's take the abusive situation, because that's one that really brings it home. Does someone who was abused as a child have a right to be angry? Absolutely. Does it support them to keep that anger in place where they move through their lives in such a way that they continue to maintain that anger? And the answer is no, it doesn't support them, because... The anger detracts from their happiness, detracts from their personal effectiveness, it detracts from their relationships, it detracts from their self-image. So, typically, the anger does not support them. Do they have a right to be angry? Yes. But who are they hurting by staying angry? They're hurting themselves.
0: Themselves, yes.